We certainly are blessed in this congregation to have a number of men who are able to lead us as we gather together to worship God. And it is a blessing that we have men that are willing to lead us, our minds and our hearts and our voices together as we sing, as we praise God and as we edify one another. Uh, Anna and I have remarked in the four months that we've been here just how uh, great it is that we have song leaders who lead with such enthusiasm and such passion and hopefully help us to get uh, the sense of what we are singing. And so uh, it makes my job a little bit easier as a preacher uh, when everyone's mind is turned to God and uh, we are singing from our hearts. We're going to be studying this morning from the book of Romans chapter 12. I would invite you to open your Bible there or you can read along up here on the screen. We're going to just take a small section of this chapter. It has been said to me anyway several times by uh, those Christians who are older and wiser than myself that in their estimation, Romans chapter 12 is one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. And I believe that is exactly right. And so we're going to dive into that a little bit this morning. Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes here and he says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another." Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The Apostle Paul, of course, was writing these words specifically to the church that met in the city of Rome. And as you think about that congregation, the saints there in Rome were a very diverse group. In this one congregation, there were Jews and Gentiles from many different cultures, from many different nations, many different walks of life that had all come together in this one city, this great city of Rome. And they had joined themselves together and they were joined together in Christ Jesus to do His work. And so it comes as no surprise that when the Apostle Paul, after laying the foundation in this book from chapters 1 through 11, when he comes to what we might call the application part of those principles or those truths from chapter 12 through 15, he heavily emphasized here in those chapters the oneness of the body of Christ, not only the oneness of the body of Christ as a whole, sometimes we refer to that as the church in the universal sense or every Christian being a part of that body, but also he was emphasizing heavily the oneness of the body of Christ in this great city, in this local congregation here in Rome. This morning what we want to do is consider the Apostles Paul's statement in verse 5 that we are one. And as we do that, to learn what that truly means for us today, as we think about that statement that we are one, we're going to learn three things that are must for us as God's people, as a local congregation, even today. 
The first thing, because we are one, that will help us to be one is to not think too highly of ourselves. And that's where the Apostle Paul begins this discussion, began in our reading this morning. Back to verse 3, he says again, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. There, there is a sense, I, I believe, in which the, the Bible uses the word pride in a positive sense. It has a positive connotation. I think if you were in uh, Brother Alan Blaylock's class last quarter on First and Second Thessalonians, uh, we kind of touched on that in one class. But even the Apostle Paul says in Second Corinthians that he was proud of those brethren that is, he rejoiced in the fact that they had made some progress in dealing with some of the issues, some of the challenges that they were facing, the problem of disunity, if you will, division in that church that he addressed in the first, uh, first letter. And so pride, I believe, can be used in a good sense that we can be proud of our children, we can be proud of our brethren that they are walking in the Lord but oftentimes when we think of the word pride, it is used in a negative sense, and that's often the way that the Scriptures uses that word. And so the Apostle Paul, I believe in saying here that we are not to think too highly of ourselves, is talking about this kind of pride, a sinful pride, if you will. And a sinful pride has been humanity's problem ever since the Garden of Eden, hasn't it? As we read in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, about how Satan attacked Adam and Eve and how Satan continues to attack us today, that it is through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life that uh, Satan appealed to Eve's sense of pride that you can partake of this fruit that God has forbidden you to partake of, and you can be like God, knowing good and evil. It, it was a problem. Sinful pride was a problem in the church here in Rome, and the Apostle Paul is addressing it at this point. But it remains a problem in local churches today among God's people. For these brethren, though, that he is writing to here in Rome, this kind of arrogant, boastful, conceited pride was manifesting itself, or at least it had the potential to manifest itself between several different groups in this congregation between Jews and Gentiles. And Paul has some things to say about that that we'll look at here in just a moment. But also between those who would be strong Christians in their faith and those who would be considered weak Christians in their faith. I want you to turn back in your Bible, or at least in your mind, uh, to some earlier statements that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church that deals with this particular point that we're thinking of here, not to think too highly of ourselves as we interact with one another in the body of Christ. Notice what he says about that Jew-Gentile relationship back in chapter 2, beginning at verse 17. He's writing specifically these instructions to those who are Jews, and he says, But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. 
Paul was writing especially to those who were Christians in this congregation who were of a Jewish background and telling them that you, you are boasting just in the fact that you are a Jew, that you're a physical descendant of Abraham. You're being arrogant about that in the way that you're acting even toward your Gentile brethren. Over in chapter 3 at verse 9, Paul continues this same thought. And he talks to both Jews and Gentiles and he says this, What then are we, those who are Jews, are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. We're, we're all stand uh, in condemnation before God because of our sin. We, we don't have a reason to think too highly of ourselves because we have all sinned, we have all transgressed God's holy will. And then in chapter 11, at verse 17, beginning as Paul is speaking here, I believe in this chapter about uh, God choosing the Jews, not because they were a perfect people, not because they were a, a great power, uh, great nation on earth when he chose them, but quite the opposite of that, to show his power, what Brent spoke to us about last week, to show his power through their weakness. But he's talking about God here making the choice that through the Jewish lineage, through the lineage of Abraham, would come the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah of the world. But he's speaking here again to now Gentiles. And notice what he says to them beginning at verse 17 of Romans 11. He says, but if some of the branches were broken off, that's those Jews that were rebellious against God, and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became partakers with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, Paul says, but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And so to Jews in Romans chapter 2, to Jews and Gentiles in Romans 3, to Gentiles specifically in Romans chapter 11, the message is the same. Do not be arrogant. Do not be conceited. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think because Romans chapter 3 verse 9 is verse 23 of that chapter says, we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. To those in this congregation who are strong and weak spiritually, Paul says much the same thing when you come to chapter 14. And you might remember chapter 14 and 15 is all about how we are to accept one another. Uh, chapter 14 and verse 3, he says, to the one who eats uh, the one who eats, rather, is not to regard with contempt the one who is do does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. And then again from verse 10, he says, but, why, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Not going to get into all of the discussion here in Romans chapter 14 and 15. That's a another series of lessons in and of itself. But suffice it to say, Paul is saying that we need to not show this arrogant pride, this sinful pride in our dealings with one another. Whether we consider ourselves to be strong in the faith or weak in the faith, it goes both ways. And therefore, Paul, throughout this book, I believe when we come to the passage that we are discussing this morning from Romans chapter 12, Paul is calling upon each of these saints, whether they're Jew or Gentile, whether they are weak or strong, he is calling upon all of these saints to not think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. 
But I want you to also be impressed with the fact that Paul doesn't just give them and us a negative instruction in this matter. He doesn't just say to us, don't think too much of yourself. Don't have this arrogant, boastful, conceited, egotistical pride. But he also gives a positive instruction. As we come back to our text here at verse 3, he goes on to say, But to think, so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Right? Rather than thinking too highly of ourselves in, in relation to one another, Paul says we need to think in a way so that we have sound judgment. What does that mean? I don't know everything perhaps that is involved in those words of thinking as to have sound judgment. But here are a few things for you to consider this morning. To think with sound judgment is to see ourselves and it is to see the gifts that God has given us with gratitude and with humility. I believe it is very much connected to this point that we have here on the screen. It is connected to not thinking too highly of ourselves. It is to view one another in the body of Christ as being valuable, that all of us are important to the whole body. And to think in this way is also for us to think so as to become, as we've already sung this morning, that we all can become of the one mind and we can become of one judgment. Notice Paul says something about this in this very chapter as you continue down to verse 16 here in Romans 12. He goes on to say in giving us some of the one another obligations or responsibilities in the body of Christ, he says that we are to be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind. So he hasn't left that thought, I don't believe, from chapter 12 and verse 3 about not thinking too highly of ourselves. He says, don't be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly or associate with lowly things, some versions may say. Again, he says, do not be wise in your own estimation. Can't you just maybe hear these Christians reading this and they say, well, Paul, you just told us that back in verse 3. <laughs> Why, you think we haven't gotten the point yet? He was really wanting to emphasize this particular point of humility in this chapter. Chapter 15 and verse 5, notice what Paul wrote to the brethren here. He says, now may the God who gives perseverance, or some versions may say the God of patience and encouragement, grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. And he gives the practical application of that or why we're doing that in verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to, again, a very divided congregation. They needed this message of being one in Christ very desperately. At verse 10, most of us probably remember the instruction of Paul to this church. He says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, or that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. It's not enough for us just to not think too highly of ourselves. But Paul goes on again to instruct us that we must think in a certain way. We must think with sound judgment. And I'm submitting to you that these are a few things that it means for us to think with sound judgment. It is that we are trying to all have the same mind. We are trying to all have even the same judgment about things, even as we have differing judgments about spiritual matters, about how we're going to apply principles and, and truths of Scripture, that we're all working toward that. We're all wanting to have that mind of Jesus Christ. Paul would say this to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, that we are to submit to one another in the fear of Christ. That it is Christ 
and, and our reverence, our respect for Him. It is His mind that we all ought to be seeking. And I will tell you that the, doing these things is not easy. This is not the easy path of being a Christian, but this is the road which Christ has called us to walk. And so doing these things requires each of us to invest ourselves in one another. And I believe maybe that kind of is where our problem is today. Maybe it's not because we are intentionally not getting to know each other as we should, but it may just be because of our culture, because we, we, many of us live such busy lives that we're truly not invested in one another as we should be. We're thinking too highly of ourselves in comparison to our brother or sister in Christ. Could I give you just some practical applications of this? We need to see ourselves as servants. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, talking about himself and Apollos, he says... We're just merely servants of God. He's an apostle. Apollos is an eloquent proclaimer of truth, an eloquent speaker of God's word. But he says, when it comes down to it, we're just servants. And we are here to serve at God's pleasure. We are here to serve our brethren. How often Paul wrote of himself that way and even began letters to churches and to individual Christians about himself being a, an apostle of Christ, but also being a bondservant of Christ. We must see each one of ourselves as servants, whatever our role or function is in the body of Christ. We must value every member's work. We must see that every member of the body of Christ, every person who is a part of this congregation is valuable in what they are doing. Maybe I can't do or you can't do, but they can do, and it is valuable. We must not put, down, put them down or put their work down. I believe in very practical terms in a local congregation, this means that those who are immature in their faith are submitting their judgment to those who are mature. Maybe somebody who is a new Christian. It may be somebody who's been a Christian for a number of years, but they really haven't progressed or grown in their faith. All of us, this can be a difficult one, especially over the last couple of years. But all of us as members of a local congregation submitting our judgment to that of our shepherds, supporting their decisions. I'm not saying here that, that they just have a blank check. <laughs> I'm not saying that we should just blindly follow our shepherds wherever they might lead us. If they are leading us away from Christ, if they're leading us down a path that is definitely not found in Scripture, uh, we need to stand up to that. We need to oppose that. We need to stand firm on the Word of God but listen, a congregation has chosen men to lead us, especially in areas of judgment. And there will be times when our judgment differs from theirs and drastically differs from theirs. As a preacher, I mean, I have worked with uh, several combinations of elderships. And I don't always agree with everything, every decision that they make, every choice, every direction maybe that they would have the congregation go in. But if it's something that doesn't lead us into the path of what is wrong, then I, even as a gospel preacher, need to submit my judgment to theirs. I need to go as far as I can to support them. But the other side of that relationship, those who are shepherding God's people need to be men who are not self-willed. That's one of the qualifications, if you will, as we often call them, or a characteristic that a man must possess in order to lead a group of God's people. Shepherds must be putting their own will aside. And not saying, well, we're in positions of power. 
and uh, we're going to do it our way. We don't care what is best, or we're not even going to consider what is best for the congregation. Shepherds need to be leading us in such a way that they are considering what is in our best interest. And all of that culminates in the fact that we're all seeking the mind of Jesus Christ. We, We are all wanting the truth that Christ preached. We are all wanting the attitude that Christ had. We are all wanting the mind of Christ. But sadly, self gets in the way many times, doesn't it? Self gets in the way of unity. And so in order for us to truly be one, we must each lay aside ourselves and we must be thinking about one another and doing what is best for all. The second must, if we're going to truly be one as God has called us to be, as we go back to our text in Romans chapter 12, is to realize that God is the gift giver. At the very end of verse 3, Paul writes here that we need to think about the fact that God has allotted to each or he has... uh, Uh, given to each a measure of faith. And then at verse six, he says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. I want you to notice what Paul is saying to us here about God's role in the body of Christ. He is telling us in no uncertain terms that God is the giver. God is the giver of grace. He says, through the grace given to me, through the grace given by God to Paul as an apostle of Christ, that he is the giver of faith. He says, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith, that he is the giver of gifts. He says there that we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. It's very similar to what the apostle Paul wrote to that very disjointed, divided congregation in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as he spoke to us there about the one body being one, but then all of us being members of that body. Notice just a few things. Notice a few phrases here in these three verses that I have on the screen. Verse 18, Paul says, But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Verse 24, he says, But God has so composed the body giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. And then verse 28, and God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then he lists all of those functions or works or roles in the body of Christ. But the emphasis this morning for this lesson is this, it is God who is doing all these things. God has placed, God has composed, God has appointed While the words grace, faith, and gifts that were found back in our text in Romans chapter 12, they are obviously all different words. They are words that are used throughout Scripture. In our text, I believe they appear to refer to the same idea. And that is this, that they are talking about the functions. They are talking about the works, the abilities, the roles, whatever word you want to use that God has given to individual body parts. Certainly all of us who are Christians have been saved by the grace of God as it's shown through His Son, Jesus Christ. Certainly we all have faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. But I believe as Paul is using those three words here, he's really using those three words to capture one idea for us. Just to give you an illustration of that, if you turn back to Romans chapter 15 and look at what Paul wrote in verses 15 and 16. Uh, Again... um, 
about himself. He says, but I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles might, may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul mentions here because of the grace that was given me from God or by God. I don't believe he's talking here about the grace that, that all of us receive, the forgiveness of our sins, the reconciliation that we all have that's made possible through the, the uh, death of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he's speaking here about the gift that God had given him. The grace that Paul speaks of here in Romans chapter 15 is that which he had received from God. It was his service, it was his ministry, it was his stewardship, all of those words that Paul uses throughout the, God, throughout the epistles, that he had been given this service, ministry, stewardship in the gospel. He had been given the charge by God specifically to reveal the mystery of the gospel and especially to reveal that to those who are Gentiles. So I believe that's what Paul has in mind when we come back here to our text in Romans chapter 12. Viewed from that perspective, God had given Paul a very unique gift, if you will. It is one that not all members of Christ's body had. In fact, no other member of the body of Christ had it in exactly the same way that the Apostle Paul had. He was unique. And so I believe this will help us as we go back to the previous point. When we come to realize that God is the one, not man. God is the one who gives to every body part that gift which He sees fit because He is our Creator. He knows what is best for us. He knows what we are capable of. Then I believe that will help us to carry out the first instruction that we just spoke of. It will help us to not think too highly of ourselves. Because, hey, this is not something that is just of me. No, we can take what God has given us and we can either use that or not. <laughs> We can decide like the one talent man that we're just going to set that talent aside and not do anything with it. But assuming that we take that and we continue to develop that and continue to grow in that and continue to use that for God's glory and for the edification of the body of Christ, uh, then we will be pleasing to God. Realizing that God is the giver of a diversity of gifts is a must if we are to be one. Thirdly and finally connected to that, as we come back to Romans chapter 12, we need to be using our diverse gifts. Notice what Paul says again at verse 6, as he says, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And this next phrase is in italics here in the New American Standard that I'm reading from this morning. But I, I don't see that it does any harm to the text at all. It helps us to understand what Paul's point here is. He says, each of us is to exercise them according, the gifts, accordingly, the gifts that God has given us. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. While we are to realize, as we just said, that God is the one who has planned all this out, God is the one who is overseeing the body of Christ ultimately. God is the giver of gifts. That's certainly important for us to realize because it keeps us humble. It allows us to have a correct and accurate view of ourselves. If we don't use those gifts, 
if we don't use them in the way that God has directed us to use them, we as a congregation, we are not going to be one, at least to the extent that God desires us to be. And so Paul says to us here, we have to use, we have to exercise the numerous diverse gifts that God has given us. First of all, I believe that requires each one of us to do some self-examination. We have to think about for a little while, not just think on a surface level, but to really think deeply and to think maybe for some time to examine ourselves to see what it is, what kind of gifts God has given to me, what kind of gifts God has given to you, to see where I fit in the body of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul spoke about that. We're not going to turn back to this passage, but earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you know, he said there can be some in the body and using the physical body as an illustration for the spiritual body that we just see ourselves as a, 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 an ear and not an eye or a hand and not a foot. We just see ourselves as unimportant or maybe we look down on our brother or sister in Christ because, hey, I, I am an eye and you're just an ear. Goes back to not thinking too highly of ourselves. But we need to examine ourselves and say, what, what, what body part am I? Am I a foot? Am I a hand? Am I an eye? Am I an ear? Where, where, where do I fit in the body of Christ? Another way to ask this question is this, what do I excel at? And not from, a, from an arrogant standpoint, but again, realizing that God has made me the way that he has. God has given me certain gifts. What is it that I really excel at? What am I good at? What has God uniquely made me to do? Is it, as we go through this list here, is it to serve in some specific way? All of us are to be servants of Christ, as we mentioned just a moment ago. But there are some Christians who can serve in some ways that I don't have the ability or at least not the, the same extent or degree that someone else has. There are some brothers and sisters in Christ that are very good about just uh, talking to people on the street about Jesus. And uh, they just have a way of connecting with people that they have never met. And some of those people may not feel comfortable at all really sitting down and getting into an in-depth study of the Bible, but they are very good about giving someone who is a preacher or a teacher, an elder, someone who is knowledgeable in the Word of God, contacts. And they are willing to serve. They can serve. God has equipped them to do that particular work. Has, has God uniquely made me to teach in some capacity? It may be in this setting that we're in this morning. It may be a Bible class. It may be a one-on-one -on -one study. It may be in a variety of ways. Has God given me the ability to exhort? We're all to exhort, aren't we? But there are some Christians who are a lot better about exhorting than some of the rest of us. Has he given you the ability or the gift to give? We think about as we read that word give through the New Testament Maybe our minds automatically go to financial giving, and that's a part of it. But just giving ourselves in service to the Lord, giving financially, that, that is a gift that God has endowed us with. That is a stewardship that we have. How are we using that? If we have that one, to lead in some way, to show mercy. All of us are to be compassionate one toward another. But there are some of us that just are better about that. I don't know about you, but I have tried to do this in my own life. It was several years ago, probably three, four, five years ago, a, a brother in Christ 
uh, was very, very good. Uh, I think God gave him this particular gift or talent because I don't have it. But he was very, very uh, good about writing an article and writing a very short article and saying a lot. Uh, brevity, as you've already found out, is not my strong suit. But he could just say a whole lot. And I, I used some of his articles uh, in the bulletin that I was putting together every week. Uh, and he could say a lot more in two or 300 words than I could say in 800 or 1,000 words. And, and I told him that. And for several times, I sent him a, a text of, uh, just to let him know that I appreciated that and that I used some of his uh, writing. And he sent me a text back at one point. And he said, Brother, I think God has given you the gift of encouragement. And I kind of thought about that, I guess, for a number of years. But until he said that, I had not really thought of it in the way that he said it. And I believe that's exactly right. And since that point, I've really tried to make it a point in whatever situation that's coming along that I'm trying to encourage someone else. If we can see the gifts that God has given to us, we need to be using them for the greater good. But secondly, that requires each of us to think about how we can best use those gifts to help the whole body to work and to function at peak capacity as God intends for it to function. Remember again, God gave each of us gifts for building up, not for tearing down. He gave us gifts for edifying, not for puffing ourselves up. Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as he talks about spiritual miraculous gifts that Christians in the church there at Corinth had in the first century. And he says that you don't need to be arrogant about those gifts. You know, if you have the gift of prophecy that you're not putting down someone who has the gift of speaking in tongues or speaking in tongues, the one who has the ability to interpret those tongues, to make the message known and all those things that God gave a diversity of gifts to his people, to his church, so that the church can be edified, so that we all can be built up. And that doesn't mean that we never say maybe what is, is uh, regarded as a negative word, that we never admonish a brother or sister in Christ. We never warn them. We never rebuke them when the occasion calls for it. But it means that we're seeing the gifts that God has given us as Paul saw his gift as an apostle, not for tearing down, not for promoting himself, but for building up, for edifying God's people. And I believe that point goes back to our first point this morning. It takes humility. It takes not thinking more of myself than I should. It takes thinking of my brother and sister more than I think of myself. The, the picture that the Apostle Paul paints for us here in Romans chapter 15 and 1 Corinthians 12 and other, Romans 12 rather, 1 Corinthians 12 and elsewhere throughout the New Testament to me is just a true picture, but it is also a very beautiful picture of what real unity in diversity looks like. That that phrase has been used in the religious world. That phrase has been used among some that we would consider to be our brethren over the past number of decades, and it has gotten kind of a bad rap. A bad connotation comes into our mind maybe when we hear someone say that. But brothers and sisters, this is true. Unity in diversity that Paul is speaking of here in Romans chapter 12. When we are all committed to using the various gifts that God has given us for the greater good of the body of Christ, and truly we are one. When we're not 
spending all of our time and energy comparing ourselves to one another when we are not spending all of our time and energy trying to run each other down, but we're trying to build each other up, then we truly are one. I would suggest to you as we close our lesson this morning that these three thoughts from Romans chapter 12 are must. They are not things that are optional. They are must if we are truly serious about putting into practice this very precious truth that Paul reveals to us here in Romans 12, that we are one. What about you this morning? If you're not in the body of Christ, you may think this lesson doesn't apply to you, but let me ask you this question as we close. Are you one with Christ? You're either united to Christ or you're separated from Him. And if you're not in the body of Christ, if you're not a follower of Christ, then you're separated from Him. But you can be one with Him this morning. If you'll come before this audience confessing your faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, repenting of your sins, whatever it might be. Maybe it's a sin of pride, arrogance. But confessing that, uh, repenting of that, and confessing uh, your faith in Jesus as Lord, and then being buried with Christ in the waters of baptism, and starting a new walk, to walk in newness of life. If as a child of God, you may see yourself somewhere here in Romans chapter 12, it may be that you have been thinking too much of yourself and too less of your brethren. Whatever your condition might be this morning, if things are standing between you and God, don't, t- don't hesitate to make that right with Him. Won't you do that now as we stand and as we sing?